motherhood. It doesn't look the same for any of us. But you know what? All of us are carrying around our own baggage. Whether it's helping your children with autism or anxiety, living with chronic illness, surviving from abuse in all of its forms, or feeling depressed and stuck in our lives, girl, I've got you. Mamas need love too. And this is the place where I want you to know you can let your hair down, take a breath, and just relax in the fact that you are not alone on this journey we call motherhood. We all have our mistakes, our victories, our stories, and ladies, I want to share those with you. So pour a coffee or a cup of tea and know that God totally loves you all the time. So let's get to it. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Mamas Need Love the podcast for mamas everywhere. I'm your hostess, Shannon Early, and I am so glad that you are back or are listening for the first time. Remember that you can subscribe to my show and you will always be notified as soon as a new episode drops. And you know I've got some good stuff, girls. Speaking of good stuff for you, I have another guest today. If you have a kid with big emotions, then this is the episode for you. You guys know I'm a mom of two children with autism, which can come with some huge emotional swings. So I am super pumped to have her on the show. Our guest is a fellow mama of two girls and has a master's in clinical psychology. She focuses on helping parents raise their kids with big emotions and is on a mission to help us feel more in control while raising responsible, resilient, and confident kids. Before working with parents, she offered services as an ADHD coach, intensive in-home mentor, and psychotherapist for children, adolescents, and adults. Please welcome my next guest, podcast hostess of the Parenting Long Game, Rachel Bailey. Thanks, Shannon. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you on. I I was reading all the stuff about you to the to the listeners because I want them to know you've got some you've got some good street cred. <laughs> I suppose, but my cred really comes from I think being a parent more than my all the clinical years I've done. Well, you remember like before you were a mom, you're like, when I have kids, I'm always going to do the thing. Of course. Yeah. and We're such better moms before we're moms. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'm actually really excited. So today we're going to talk about kids with big emotions. Rachel, what does that even mean? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm glad you start there because... Um, people think that big emotions means that their kids have tantrums all the time, that they're melting down all the time. That can certainly be part of it, but there's so much more. Big emotions really means that kids feel things strongly. So this could look like meltdowns and tantrums, but it could also look like the child who's really bossy and controlling and quote unquote strong-willed. It could also mean a child who gets really upset, like if they think things aren't fair and they freak out. It could also be a child who gets really offended when you give them a suggestion or criticism or a child who gets really upset when an animal gets hurt. Like it's really just any child who feels things really strongly. Sometimes that's loud and sometimes it's quieter, but genuinely inside these kids just feel things really strongly. That's interesting. So is this like a normal thing? Would you say that there's a lot of kids that have big emotions out there? It's definitely more common than you'd think. Mm -hmm. In fact, when I used to be more of a generalist as a parenting expert, and then I decided to niche down to big emotions. And when I did, I found that I would say, I don't know this, if it's statistically true, but like 
75 to 80% of families have at least one child with big emotions. And if, especially if you have more than one child, you can kind of see maybe one just reacts bigger to things and seems to get more upset. And the other one may be more go with the flow. Or in my case, I have two kids with big emotions. So I don't have one that doesn't have them, but I also have big emotions. So I understand it. So right. yeah, it's very common. Okay. And you know, also like, you know, having big emotions is pretty great. Like, you know, they probably get really passionate about things or, you know, being able to have a strong will is great when they're older. Like just right. stop it now, please. Uh, you know, <laughs> exactly. I, I think I'm good at my job because I have big emotions. Like I really get people in a crazy eerie way. And that's why I can help parents with their children. So there are definitely benefits to it for sure. Yeah. So, okay. You heard in my intro, I have two kids with autism and I know that that can be like a symptom sometimes of the kids because, you know, they're sensory processing or right. auditory process, whatever it is. It's just yeah. everything's so big. Right. Does a kid need to have special needs to have big emotions? No, not at all. Nor do all kids with special needs have big emotions. So there's a, there's a big overlap often between, you know, kids on the spectrum or kids with ADHD, and they have trouble regulating their emotions. But they also, some of them just feel things so strongly. And what I always say is, if we think our kids are reacting disproportionately to a situation, like maybe you told them your blue shirt is in the laundry, so you can't wear it. And they're like, ah, and they have this big reaction. It's not that they're reacting disproportionately. It's they're reacting in proportion to how strongly they feel something. And that's what we have to remember. Interesting. So how would you, I mean, how do you go about telling your kid, like, I understand you're upset, but you can't act this way. I mean, is that even something you can say or no? Once a child is actually already having the reaction, no, it's that you can't actually get someone out of it once they're in it. And I talk about, um, I explain this sort of from, from clinical terms. Basically when you're seeing a big reaction, what has already happened is someone has, believe it or not, gone into their fight or flight response. Mm. So a child senses a threat or a discomfort and their brain senses that threat or discomfort, like the blue shirt is in the laundry, they sense that as a threat or as a problem. So their fight or flight response kicks in. Mm. And one of the things our fight or flight response does is it shuts off the part of the brain that allows us to regulate our emotions and see the big picture. So once they're already in fight or flight, there's not much you can do to snap them out of it. I explain what I call, it's called the yuck curve, because I call this place where they're dysregulated, I call it yuck, like when someone's in yuck. And they actually have to travel like, it's what I call a rainbow shaped curve. So imagine a rainbow that the yuck gets bigger and then eventually it comes down. Once someone's on the curve though, there's nothing you can really do to snap them out of it, which is what we all want to do as parents, but it doesn't work very well. And we all know that it always makes it worse or yeah. like the, the situation starts escalating or all of a sudden you're angry yeah. at the kid and it can get intense. Yeah. So and it gets worse because they, they're already sensing a threat and then we just make the threat bigger. That's yes. how we do. So would you say it's more like it's better to teach coping skills in advance kind of thing, like just figuring it out as you, you know, work on it before the situation gets. Yeah, absolutely. So basically the way we foster resilience, very simply, this is like the core of a lot of what I teach is we want, you can almost think of like a seesaw. If someone's yuck is lower than their coping skills, they're going to act fine and they're going to feel fine. But once their yuck gets higher than their coping skills, so imagine one side of the seesaw higher is yuck coping skills are lower, then we're going to see a lot of the negative behaviors, moods, and attitudes. So basically we want to reduce unnecessary yuck. We're not reducing all yuck because life is hard. We're reducing unnecessary yuck and we're teaching coping skills and we're doing almost all of this out of the moment. So I teach parents out of the moment skills and in the moment skills and out of the moment is way more effective. 
Yeah. It seems like when you were talking about the fight or flight thing, it seems like I'm just speculating, but kids with anxiety, it would seem like they would have more often have bigger emotions. Is that true? There is. Yes. There's very often an overlap between big emotions and anxiety. And it's like, which comes first? You never know. Because if you're anxious, if you're constantly worried, something bad is going to happen, then you're on, you know, you're like on guard all the time and noticing bad things. When you're looking for bad things, you find them. But also having big emotions makes you feel out of control, which contributes to anxiety. So they both really contribute to each other. And so a big emotion child often has anxiety, but an anxious child can also display big emotions. So I'm working a lot with anxiety and how do we address that and how do we help people feel more in control, even when things aren't going well. Yeah. And you had mentioned something about ADHD Mm -hmm. um, and you handle kids with ADHD and big emotions. How would that, does that look different between a kid with ADHD and anxiety or is it the outcome still the same? Not necessarily because ultimately we want kids to do is recognize they're recognize what they're feeling and not let those feelings control them. So some of the stressors are going to be different, whether you have ADHD or anxiety, a child with ADHD, may ha- they usually have executive functioning issues like trouble with focusing or organizing their stuff. So that may cause anxiety versus a child with a different type of, you know, anxiety or sensory issue, mm-hmm. which what's going to dysregulate them is when the noise is too loud or the lights are too bright. So the input may be different, mm-hmm. but ultimately we're teaching them to recognize their emotions and not be controlled by their emotions. This is so interesting to me because, so I have four kids. My eldest two are the ones on the spectrum. And then my third has ADHD, right? And Unfortunately, she kind of gets lost in the sauce sometimes because I'm always doing therapy for the eldest two. And I never, I never knew that her giant big emotions, we call it her super big feeling heart because yes. like she feels everything so yes. extra. Um, I never thought that they went together. You're blowing my mind. Yeah. Very exciting. So, okay. All right. So now we know we can identify probably right. if you're listening, you know, which kid has a big emotion or not. Right. So how can we help them out? The first thing we need to do. So I'm all about being practical. Like there's theory. That's great. But like, what do we actually do? Yeah. Believe it or not, the first thing we have to do as parents is actually learn to regulate ourselves Mm. because we want our kids to regulate. We want them to cope. But remember their brains in fight or flight. And if they see us not coping, they see us dysregulated and they can tell a big feeling child can tell. We can try to hide it. They can tell. I'm a big feeling person. I can feel everybody's energy within like a two mile radius of me. Mm -hmm. So we have to regulate ourselves first. So how do we do this? I actually teach lots of tools for regulating, but one of the things that we want to do to regulate is to stop seeing big emotions as a threat. Because remember I said, fight or flight comes from when we detect a threat. So if we think, oh my gosh, my child's having a meltdown or, oh my gosh, my child can't handle criticism or, oh my gosh, my child is, you know, upset because they didn't, couldn't get the blue shirt. We go into fight or flight. We're dysregulated. And then they sense that and they stay dysregulated. Whereas if we change our story, that's one of the tools I teach. We change our story from, oh my gosh, this is so awful to, oh yeah, that's how they respond. I can handle this. Because what's interesting is our brains don't know if there's a threat unless we tell it there's a threat. Our brains don't actually know if there's a threat, unless there's like someone chasing us down a dark alleyway, then our brain knows. But otherwise we tell it. So one of the first things I do with parents is say, let's think about your child's big emotions. And it's not just like, oh, your child has so many strengths and it's so wonderful. It's not even that. It's, hey, your child is responding this way. It's just because they don't have coping skills right now. 
we're going to teach them coping skills. Mm-hmm. We don't have to project 10 years in the future and think they're never going to have friends. Everyone's good. We don't have to do that, which is what we all do. Yes. Yes, it so is. The first thing we need to do is actually learn to regulate ourselves. And I will tell you, as someone raising kids with big emotions, and now I've helped thousands of families, this is one of the most liberating things where one of my clients recently just said, she said, Rachel, you told me, let my daughter get upset. And I've never felt more free. Just let her get upset. It's okay for them to be upset. We don't have to get sucked in. They're upset. That's normal. And it's so freeing. And that's just one tool to regulate ourselves. That's so smart. You're totally right. And I think, you know, sometimes when my kids, if I'm not like in the mood, let's say, if I'm not in the mood to handle it well, things can be pretty poor. But when, cause you're like, oh no, here they go again. It's yeah. going to be a huge thing. Here it comes. But you're right. When you can say, okay, like I, I can understand why they're acting this way. It's almost like you rise above it. It's like you're almost detached or something, not in like a non-emotional, like you don't care about your kid, but I don't know how to explain it better. I'm not like that great with words, but you know what I'm saying, right? You said it beautifully. That's exactly right. We're detaching in a care. We we actually have a a term for this in psychology, psychology, detached concern is what we call it. We're still concerned, but we're detached from it. And that's actually very, very healthy. That's where we want to get with to be with our kids because what ultimately actually helps our kids. So the next question is, how do we diffuse it? That's what everyone wants to know. But what's interesting, we diffuse it first by regulating ourselves. And when we have detached concern, we can do the next piece, which is something I call matched intensity. A lot of parents will say, well, Rachel, I was calm and it just made my child more upset or it didn't help. Here's the thing. When kids are having big emotions, if we are calm, it makes it worse. So I said, we have to regulate, but I didn't say we have to be calm. So often if a child says, let's go back to the blue shirt example, because it's so silly, but it happens. If we say to our child, our child says, oh my gosh, the blue shirt's in the laundry. I needed to wear it today. And we say, it's okay. Mm-hmm. They actually feel like we don't get it. And they get more upset first right. saying something like, this is what I call matched intensity, where we say, wow, you really wanted to wear that shirt. And now it's in the laundry. Like we have to show them we get it, but we can only mm-hmm. do that if we are regulated ourselves, otherwise we get sucked in and we make it worse. I've, I've never heard it that way. And you're so spot on. Cause like, if you're sharing something with your husband, let's say, and he's just yes. like, Oh, that sucks. You're like, yes. what? Like I'm crying. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So we do have to, and this is why big feeling people are actually really special because we can sense what someone else is going through. And as long as we don't get sucked in, which again, we have to learn how to do that. We actually allow them to diffuse more, more quickly because they feel heard. And for humans, that is a diffusion tool. We get out of fight or flight much more quickly when we feel heard. So we have to be able to do that for our kids. That's great. That's excellent. So, okay. Like you gave the example of the blue shirt. Like what if they're really angry about something? Like do we just basically voice, like I see what's going on and this is why you're upset. That's, that's a great question. Cause that's what people learn. And this is another misconception that I feel Um, saying something like, I see that you're angry is a very disconnected statement. Like not, you should, like, I get why you're angry, but it's like, I'm over here. Okay. And I, and you're angry. It's a very separating statement. Mm. What you genuinely want to do is understand why they're angry. Your brother just took your stuff. Like you really want to get it. And here's the thing with matched intensity. It's not always through words. Your kids sense your energy. They sense whether you get it. And you're really genuinely understand them and they sense when you don't. So the techniques I teach parents are really do get it, just get it. You don't have to say anything. There's no perfect thing to say. You just have to get it. Mm-hmm. And when, when, even as adults, when we feel like someone gets us, like you used your husband example, when you feel like he gets you, all of a sudden things are okay. It's true. 
It's true. You feel validated and you feel heard. Yeah. And that's what you're trying to. Right. And you know, children are little people. They're people like we're growing up people that we would eventually like to hang out with one day, you know? And you forget that sometimes when it's like, but I've definitely seen the mom. I've been the mom. That's like, I guess I need to try to be like as calm as I can as uh-uh. in their stuff, you know? And this yeah. is like, you're going to help a lot of moms. I know. I it, so. That's my, that's mom. my, my goal. That's great. Okay. So you said that we match the intensity. Um, okay. And then basically when it comes to a head, or it, it calms down off the rainbow slide. Yep. Do we then like talk it through with them at all or? What do we yeah, do? we definitely need to talk things through, but here's another misconception that I, my, my job is like to bust all these myths that are out there. Cause I think there are so many and it really, I feel like it's, I, I feel like kids can't speak up for themselves. So I'm trying to speak up for the kids. That's great. So we think that when we go speak to them later, we say something like, okay, you got upset before you were really angry with your brother. Here's what you need to do next time. That doesn't work at all. Mm. Well, the first thing we need to do is get in their world, especially with big feeling kids. Again, they need to feel understood. So we go back and we say, what was going on for you that made you get upset with your brother? What was, what was that like for you? We get in their world first because when they can hear us, they're more likely to listen to us. Or when they feel that we can hear them, they're more likely to listen to them. So what I would say is, what was that like for you? And they say, oh my gosh, my brother took my stuff. He's so mean. He's so awful. And I would just say something like, huh, that sounds really hard. You know, living with a brother that's doing, you feel that's doing that. You're not agreeing with them. You're just letting them know you get it. And then you can say, how do you think that went? Do you want to talk about ways that you can feel more in control next time? Because here's the thing. Kids with big emotions want to feel more in control all the time. That's why they're Mm strong-willed. So I actually use that to, to a benefit to use that kids want to feel more in control. They don't want things to go the way they do to start to say, may I show you some ways and let's do some experiments to figure out what works for you to feel more in control when you're feeling something. And I teach something I call when then statements, which are coping skills. When I feel this, then I will this. Hmm. And we do experiments with what actually helps them feel more in control. That's great. I mean, there's lists all the time, about like as a mom, like how you can take care of yourself, you know, like plan ahead, different ways you can reward yourself. And and it's like, if we're doing that for ourselves, it's like, we need to do that for our children too. like plan ahead. These are some ways that you can help yourself. And I don't know. 100%. We can't, it's too, it's too late in the moment. So we have to do it proactively. Yep. So, and then having them work on it with you as a team, not saying, not coming down and be like, this is what you need to do next time. This is what I've decided, you know, figuring That's out huge. together. What I always say is you want it to be you and your child against the problem, not you against your child. So the problem is they don't have great emotional regulation skills, mm-hmm. but when you work with them to help them with emotional regulation skills, they're more likely to listen. And then you're a team mm-hmm. and they're not always fighting you and resistant to you. Yeah. That's excellent. And so, okay. I know that you have, um, like a system of three mm-hmm. pillars, right? Mm-hmm. So one of them is the matched intensity mm-hmm. pillar. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what are your other two pillars that you work with? So the second pillar has to do with, um, you know, the child coping. So the first pillar is matched intensity. We're really focusing on what can we do to diffuse the situation? What's in our control? Mm -hmm. Then the second pillar moves on to the child and it's how do we foster resilience in them? Especially if they've been resistant in the past to using coping skills, we have to understand why they've been resistant. And then the third pillar, and I think a lot of people miss this one, Mm -hmm. is we have to bring in the rest of the family. We have to bring in you know, the siblings who are affected, 
the other parent, because often there's a lot of fighting when there's families with kids with big emotions, there's a lot of fighting with the spouses because they are worried. And so they want to approach it differently. And there's a lot of fighting. So the third pillar is really that the family. So first pillar is about an individual parent. Second pillar is about the child. Third pillar is about the family. So is it something where let's say, you know, brother upsets sister by doing this thing that you can see was kind of jerky and sister reacted. Would that be something like you have brother apologize to sister? And I mean, like, how does that? So what this with the family piece, the way that works is actually, it's not us telling kids you should do this differently next time at all, because that gets resistance. That's us against the child. Mm. Child, you were wrong. You did something bad. Do something different. What I do again is bring us together with the child. So with all the kids in the house, we say like when you have a child with big emotions or a child with on the spectrum or it affects their siblings. Mm-hmm. And so you yes. need to go to the sibling and say, what's it like to be the brother or sister of this child? So we start in their world again and we say, okay, this is what it's like for you. Let's see if we can make it easier and better for you. What's in your control to handle this situation? What do you need in this situation? So if your brother's being jerky to you, what do you need and what's in your control? What action are you going to take? So it's not about going to a child and saying, you did this wrong. You need to change. It's about what was that like for you? What do you need? What's in your control? And you have the child come up with a plan because ultimately they are affected by their sibling and they need to be empowered to know what to do. This also empowers them to know what to do in life when they're around other people who are different or who frustrate them. So it's really about not you were, you were wrong. You were bad. Do this better. It's what was this like for you and what can you do about it? That's a good point. It's almost like having a fire escape plan, you know, like this is what's going to happen if this giant thing happens. And I'm glad you mentioned how it can be difficult for siblings of children with big emotions. Um, I've had my kids come to me, you know, crying in private about one of their siblings, about how when they do this, you know, when they freak out, basically it scares them or like it really hurts their heart or, you know, whatever it is. Um, Absolutely. And you feel such, and so part of me feels like when that one sibling is overreacting, I know, okay, they're reacting to the level that they feel. Yeah. I get that. But I, you know, sometimes it's just like, it's a lot and I can almost feel protective of the one sibling over the other. And it's so tricky. And here's the thing. It's not your job as a parent to manage everyone's emotions. That's one of the big goals I have too in my programs to take the burden off moms. We are managing everybody's emotions. Mm. It's not our job, nor is it helpful for our kids. So this is exactly why we take the burden off of ourselves. And I have what I call, and I I would recommend that you do this if you, if you want to, what I call a sibling yuck dump, Mm -hmm. which is where you actively seek out the sibling and say, what's it been for you like lately? Mm -hmm. And you say, complain. I want to hear what your complaints are because we turn those complaints into action Mm -hmm. and we say, okay, these are the things that are frustrating you. What can you do about it? Because we do have to think about the sibling of the big emotion child and what do they need? Because they often get just to your point earlier, they get neglected. Mm-hmm. They get not neglected in an emotional way, but like they get swept under the rug a little bit. Well, because when there's like, yeah, like a fire right in front of your face, you're not going to like go worry about the non burning thing. You know, right. it's like you have to figure out what's the priority at that moment. And then sometimes the moment ends and you forget to go check on everybody else. Cause you're yeah. just like, but here's what I want you to do as a mom. Mm-hmm. You don't have to make it your responsibility to check on everyone else. I would actually have the other children come up with their own plans. Okay. You don't have to do it. It's not your job to check on everyone else. It's your, it's hopefully you can teach them to take care of themselves. So you don't have to worry about them. And you're having them take care of themselves, not by neglecting them, but by saying, I do see you and I want to help you know what to do next time. Mm -hmm. That's great. So what are some like ideas 
that might work with kids? Like, do you have any? Yeah, of course. Cause I've been doing this for so long. I've worked yeah. with so many families. So some siblings, it really depends. Some siblings need to literally walk away and go comfort themselves and soothe themselves. They need to remind themselves that they're safe. Some kids need that. Some kids need to learn how to be more assertive. So I teach assertiveness. What does it sound like to stand up to your sibling? And a lot of kids either don't know what to say to their sibling or they get too scared in the moment to say it. So that's something that we might need to practice with them. How do you say to your brother or sister, I don't like how you're treating me? Or how do you say to your brother or sister, this is what I need right now? So it's it can be you know walking away. It can be being more assertive. It can be going to tell a parent if you feel totally helpless, but they need a plan. And once they have it, they feel so much more empowered and so much less resentful of the sibling when they know what to do. I feel like we need this. You know, like I always tell my husband, like, I wish we had like a group of writers just following us around that like fed us the lines, you know, it's yeah. like, we need this as adults to figure out, you know, how to be more assertive and how to care for ourselves. And totally. so being able to teach that to our kids, that's gotta be such a gift you know, to help learn that at a young age. And and what I do in my program is I actually bring in every family member. So we're teaching the kids, we're each spouse, if there are two spouses or each partner is doing this. So it is really, and and what this does is I call it the connected growth approach. It, It helps the family connect and grow together. So every single family member knows how to handle when child A is having a big emotion. Every family member knows what they're going to do, what role they're going to play. And they're not resentful anymore because they know how to handle it. And then the other thing is the big emotion child no longer feels singled out. Like I'm the only one who has to go to therapy or I'm the only one that you guys are always focusing on. It should not be like that. Everyone should know how to handle situations and grow together as a family. That's amazing that you work with the family. And so you're still taking new clients? Yeah. So I have a program that allows me to, um, it's, it's a curriculum Mm -hmm. and it allows me to bring people in. And then I have a once a week, two times on Wednesdays, live sessions. So I am absolutely taking people in. I, I, my one-on-ones are limited, but this program allows me to work with people and work with people directly through my live sessions. So I give everybody the support they need. Absolutely. That's great. And so, okay. Where can they find you? So my website is rachel-bailey.com. Um, so you can find my programs there. I also have a video series that I'm going to send to you and your audience. I'll give it to you. You can put it in your show notes. That's great. Um, and then my podcast is called your parenting long game and starting with episode 200, it's all about big emotions from then on. So if anyone, the the first episodes are about discipline and responsible behavior, and then I switched to big emotions. Oh, that's great. I love that. This is your niche niche, whatever the word is. I'm glad that this is like what you do. This is so, this has been so helpful. And all you listeners, I'm going to put all of this in the show notes. Uh, This has been Rachel Bailey and you've rocked it. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, friends. Thank you so much for coming back to Mama's Need Love. Remember that God totally loves you all the time. You are beautiful. You are worthy. You are loved and you are important. Remember, you can also like, subscribe, review, share my episodes, whatever it is. You can listen to them on all the devices where you stream music. And if you wanted to check out more behind the scenes action, you can always go to mamasneedlove.com or send me an email at mamasneedlove365 at gmail.com. Thank you so much, guys, and I'll see you next time.